I was tempted just to stay seated and let them just finish the service, but maybe next time, maybe next time, right? So excited to be together. Let me tell you, I might as, I need to just pick up and go back home to Owensboro and get me some barbecue too, right? Because they brought the bluegrass, they brought everything. It's just been a really, really good morning together and so thankful for them to come and spend this service with us. And they're not done, so they're going to be back with us and sing a little at the end of the service as well. But looking forward to going, getting into God's Word, find Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And we just came out of a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of James. If you, most of you all know this, that's sort of our diet that we go through here as a church. It's verse-by-verse -verse through books of the Bible. But there are times where uh, it's good to look at various topics together. And I typically take a couple sermons every year to talk about the church and to look at the local church and God's vision for the local church because the local church is God's idea and it is God's will for your life as a faithful follower of Jesus. And so if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. You're going to get to learn a lot about what we believe God, God's vision for not only our church, but all local churches are. And to answer the question, why not be on the lake right now? Why not be sleeping in? Why gather together? And Jesus answers this question by pointing us toward these, toward keys. And in particular, he, he wants to remind us that it's all fun and games until someone hands you the keys. Think about it. When you get your job, you may have a couple little keys, but there's a reason we call managers key holders. They can open anything they want. Employees, you may only be able to open what they allow you to open with keys come authority and responsibility. Or consider, I know several of our young people have just started driving. Of course, then they start looking around at some of them, right? And the keys make everything different. It's one thing when you're getting your hours for your permit, and it's another when you get to go drive by yourself. You become responsible for how you drive and what you do, and friends, it's coming. If you're not already, you're going to be responsible for gas and insurance. It's not going to be fun at the end of the road, right? Or Maybe when Dana and I first moved here, we were given the keys to our first house. And friends, when you rent, there's a lot of problems that are somebody else's problems. When it's your house, all the problems are now your problems. The keys change everything. They bring authority and responsibility. And Jesus this morning is going to tell us about another set of keys. The keys of the kingdom of God. And if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, and particularly a member of a local church, then God has given you the keys to his kingdom, responsibility and authority that he, causes, that he calls us to use and use wisely. So next three weeks, we're going to be considering these keys of the kingdom and the role that they play in the church. So look with me, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. Jesus speaking to Simon Peter here says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the word of God. 
It's common to hear, and I even heard it on TikTok this week, which is a great place to get your theology if you didn't know, right? (laughs) The guy looked in the camera and he said, Jesus didn't come to start a church, but to start a movement. And my first thought was, man, he obviously has never read Matthew chapter 16, (laughs) Because this is one of the two places in just the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus explicitly mentions the church. There's going to be others we'll see where he implicitly talks about it. But friends, here's the thing we need to understand. Jesus is the one who established the church. In fact, before we can even talk about keys, we got to look at the one who established it and the role that Jesus plays in establishing the local church. If you have your notes, here's the first thing we have to see is the reality that Jesus is the one who builds and blesses the church. He is the one who builds and blesses the church. And friends, it's important that we see this. The local church is Jesus' idea. It is ultimately established and ran by Jesus. You know, there's a rumor going around town that I'm the senior pastor of this church. That's actually not true. According to 1 Peter chapter 5, Jesus is the chief shepherd of this church and every other church. I'm just middle management, so to speak, right? Jesus even goes as far as to say that the local church is his bride. To say if you got a problem with the church, you got a problem with him. He says in such a way that if you're messing with the church, you're messing with me. And Jesus promises that the gates of hell, the forces of evil, and the power of death will never prevail against the church. It's the only institution which Jesus has invested himself and guaranteed its success. Governments will rise and fall. Stock markets will rise and fall. But friends, the church, the people of God, they ain't going nowhere. That doesn't mean that local churches will never shrink or even local churches may never close. But it does mean, friends, that Jesus' mission will never fail because Jesus is the one who builds the church. Friends, we can do everything. There's all these church growth gurus out there and 90% of them have no idea what they're talking about, right? But you can read all the books and you can do all the things that they say, but friends, Jesus is the one who grows the church, And this shouldn't prompt us to laziness to sit back and go, well, I don't need to do nothing. Jesus is going to take care of it for me. But rather, it should give us confidence in the means God has given to grow the church. When we do what Jesus calls us to do, Jesus will do what he has promised to do. He will build and bless the church with greater knowledge of him and with greater outreach and effectiveness in the world. So often, in church, we set up false dichotomies. We'll say, well, we want to be about word and not spirit. And often we talk about here, we want to be about both, right? And churches will often set up, well, do we want to reach more people or do we want to grow deeper and more mature in the word? And friends, the answer is both. Any healthy tree, as the roots grow down, they also grow out, And if both aren't there, there's something wrong. And Jesus has promised to build the church. Do we believe it? And he says he would build it on this rock. Now, there's a lot of debate about the rock in this passage. You can go grab five different commentaries off the shelf, and they all have their different thoughts on it. 
Is it is the rock Peter? Is it Peter and the apostles? Is it Peter's confession? Is it some sort of combination of them all? And honestly, there's, there's tons of different ideas on it. But friends, what's often missing in those discussions about the rock is a discussion of the keys. See, regardless of who or what the rock is, what matters most is who holds the keys in the kingdom of God. Look again at verse 19. Jesus says, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice, Jesus first gives the keys of the kingdom to Peter, and likely the other apostles as well. The keys open and shut, bind and loose the kingdom of God. It seems the apostles were using the keys in their ministry in the book of Acts when they, opened the, when they opened the predominantly Jewish church to the Gentile communities, when they proclaimed the gospel, when they set up local churches. The keys were first given to the apostles, but friends, that's not the last time we're going to read about these keys. In fact, look over two chapters to Matthew chapter 18, and notice what Jesus says to the local church. And you can see that in the context. He's speaking to local church. And he says this, Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 7, beginning in verse 18. Truly, I say to you. Now, when you're reading this you, this is what's called a second person plural. I've talked about this before, right? That's the y'all tense. He's saying, y'all listen up and do this. This is a plural you. And he says, truly, I say to y'all, that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Here Jesus is telling us that he has given the keys of the kingdom to the local church, and together the church community, the church body, binds and looses. We see here that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of the church. He is the architect and the builder, but he has given the authority of the keys to the local church, to its members gathered together. Because when you're given the keys, everything changes. Because with the keys come authority and responsibility. And that's the things I want us to see. The first thing we need to see is that with the keys come authority. With the keys come authority. Members serve as deputies of the king. With the keys, we are given authority to serve as co-heirs with him, as, as, as vice presidents underneath his authority, as deputies underneath him, as the sheriff. Jesus is the builder, but friends, we are the stewards. And notice something Jesus doesn't give the keys of the kingdom when he talks about the church. He doesn't say, I give it to the elders of the church, nor to the pastor of the church, nor does he put it in an organization above the church to say, well, actually, the keys are in the central office, which is located in this city, and they will use the keys on the church. He doesn't place the keys with popes or presidents or boards of directors. He places the authority of the kingdom of heaven, apostolic authority, in the local church with you. 
And he places this authority when God's people are gathered together. This is the context of what I believe to be one of the most abused and twisted verses in all the Bible. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Look what this says. You've heard this, where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am among them. This is where people will say, well, Jesus is with me at the Katie's, at the Katie's restaurant on Sunday. And sure, Jesus is everywhere, right? But he has promised his special presence when we gather together. In fact, when we gather, there are two presences that are essential when the church comes together. First, it's the promise of Jesus' presence and his authority when God's people gather together in his name. God promises to be with us in a way that he's not going to be with us at the Cracker Barrel or at the lake. Jesus is here because his people are here using the keys of the kingdom. Where his people gather with the keys, Jesus is. But notice, there's a second presence that's very important here. This presence promises to be with us when two or three gather in Jesus' name. While none of us individually hold the keys, we all individually have a role to play. Your presence here matters. There are two things that make the local church unique. Jesus is here, and you are here. And when one of those is missing, it's just not the same. Where else do God's people gather as key holders in his authority, empowered by his presence? The local church is a unique place because we hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And with keys, Jesus says, we bind and loose. Now, that's not language we use very often around here, is it? We don't talk about binding and loosing, and particularly with keys. We'd probably go, well, Jesus, shouldn't you have wanted like rope? to bind or let go, right? But let me, let me kind of illustrate. Jesus, in his day, binding and loosing were terms used for rabbis when they would set terms of conduct within the community. They would sort of bind someone to a certain set of rules or loose them from other sets of rules. So let me illustrate it this way. To bind and loose, think more of a court of judges not making the law, but interpreting and applying the law in a specific community. In an American context, if the Bible is the Constitution, the local church is meant to function as the Supreme Court, interpreting and applying God's law within a community. God's own church sets up and interprets his rules, and we apply them and hold one another to them. It's to say we, we want to tell folks what it means to faithfully know Jesus and faithfully follow Jesus. Teachers, we've got a lot of educators in the room. You bind and loosed in your own classrooms, and you will in the fall. Because, friends, you have school rules, you have district rules, but you know in your classroom whose rules go in the end. Yours, right? You're going to apply those rules that you were given to the particular group of students that you have to the best of your ability. And that means each classroom's going to look a little different. Just because Miss So-and-so lets you get away with it doesn't mean you might get away with it, right? They're going to apply those rules in a slightly different way. And so we've been given God's standards from heaven in the Bible, and as the local church, we seek to faithfully apply these standards to our community, to our body, 
so that our church on earth may reflect heaven as much as possible, though imperfectly. God has given the membership of the local church the ability to define our own parameters. The gathered church holds the keys of the kingdom, and what we bind and loose on earth is meant to reflect what's already true in heaven. To riff on the words of the prophet Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And with the keys, friends, we carry great authority as a local church, and that means there's great responsibility. So where is the body of Christ? We better make sure we understand how to use the keys. So how do we use them? Four primary responsibilities for members of the local church. Here are the responsibilities. Members use the keys to do four things. First, members use the keys of the kingdom to first protect, protect the church. Members guard the door. Now, this isn't primarily talking about the security team, though those folks are wonderful, right? Folks who guard the door, and if you don't even know who those folks are, we must be doing a really good job keeping y'all safe then. But people who guard the door, but he's speaking broadly about guarding the membership of the church. Now, a lot of people think, well, what, why does church membership matter? But we all know there's a difference between going to church and belonging to a church. Just like there's a difference between people who visit Katie's and those who really live here, right? There's a difference between visiting a community and belonging to a community. We all, we all know folks who might even live here regularly, but they really don't fit in. They don't belong. They don't engage. They're not involved in what happens here. You know the difference between a local boy and a transplant. One famous pastor I listened to this week said something along the lines of, going to Rupp Arena doesn't make you a forward on the UK basketball team, right? We all know the difference between visiting somewhere and belonging there. There's a difference between attending a church and being a member of the church, and the keys belong to members. And membership in the church, friends, this isn't like having a membership to the Planet Fitness or the Sam's Club, but rather what makes someone a member of the church is they share the church's confession. Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and so we share that confession together, and we've covenanted to live as a family of faith. There's a real commitment to a people and a purpose. The job of the membership is to make sure those who join share our confession, and church membership shouldn't be something as simple as signing up for a rewards, for a rewards card or, or walking away. It's where we've really committed to a group of people, to a shared confession and values and a covenant together. And this is one of the reasons we as a church are careful to interview those who want to join our church. We just want to make sure they understand what we believe and what we're about. Make sure they understand what it means to be a Christian because church membership is meant for Christians. I know it's kind of a novel concept to think about, right? Friends, this is why when someone joins our church, we bring them forward so you can see them. You can know who we are together with, who is a part of this family of faith so that we can know them and pray for them. We're going to talk about this next week when we talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper. But friends, baptism plays a role in this. This is why when we baptize somebody, we have them share their testimony. So you can hear, hey, we are together as a church going, yes, they're on the team. They're wearing the jersey. 
They're not just a spectator in the stands. The membership is tasked with protecting the church by guarding the front door, to use the keys by being mindful of the profession and confession of faith of others. Let me ask you this. Do you know that others around us are really Christians or just that they're Christians in name only? Friends, because, or do we just assume? Because hear me, an assumed faith will become an abandoned faith within one generation. An assumed faith will become an abandoned faith within one generation. Churches that neglect or relegate the keys of the kingdom are on the pathway to death. There are whole networks and denominations of churches that are on the pathway to death because they began to hand the keys off to a man-made leadership structure or some form of oversight over them when Jesus says, that's meant to go to the church. Jesus has entrusted the care and the leadership of this church to its members. So we've got to protect the front door, being aware that we all trust in the one true and living Jesus. This isn't saying we can't have visitors. In fact, friends, I love that our church has so many new faces within the last several years. That's incredible, and we should be excited about that. But friends, in order to have visitors, you also got to have residents, you got to have covenant membership in order to understand who a visitor even is, or else we're all just visitors. Some of us just visit more often. And we all know, friends, that there is authority a member of the family has that a visitor doesn't have. You invite a member of the family over, and they, offer, and they ask to use your bathroom, and they move some things around in the cabinet. That might be okay, but friends, if you invite a stranger over, and they start digging through your cabinet, <laughs> they're not getting invited back, Right? With the keys, we're meant to bind and loose, to declare on earth what is already true in heaven, to recognize and affirm one another in our confession of faith. The way a church misuses the keys is to welcome any and all into membership, regardless of their belief or the way that they live. I don't want to jump too far ahead to next week, but we have some churches in our community that if, the, that if a cat were meowing during a hymn, they would baptize it and let it join the church. I'm serious. Because they think it's all about numbers or all about names on a list. But friends, no, friends, a church that's only driven by getting more people on a list is a church that's misusing the keys. God would rather us have a small front door where we're careful about who enters to make sure they truly believe what our church believes than have a wide open door to let the world and everything in. We all lock our doors at night Friends, God says we got to be mindful, again, not of who may visit, but friends, of who we let have the keys to the house, to the household of faith. We must try to make our church membership reflect heaven as much as possible and to use the keys to follow the architect's wishes. And we do this by protecting the front door. Second, members use the keys of the kingdom to preserve the church. Members judge the teaching. Members judge the teaching. Do you know that if the teaching in this church ever goes awry, yes, there's fault on me as the pastor, but the final court of judgment is on the membership? Well, why is that? First, because the church calls me to be pastor, right? So there is accountability I have. There's people that, that ultimately, friends, my boss is, my, my boss is Jesus, but underneath him is you all, right? 
who I'm accountable to for what I teach and how I live, friends, because God, because the church is the one who calls pastors and and elders as leaders to oversee. That's one of the greatest powers of the keys, getting to choose who leads us. But friends, also because everywhere there, the Bible talks about false teaching in the church, they place, they place the judgment on the membership. Let me show you two places. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at this. For a time is coming when people will not endure with sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Every church has the power to accumulate people who are just going to tell them what they want to hear or not really try to change anything and just keep the status quo. But we're told if the pastor or a Sunday school teacher or even a loud congregant may go astray, the local church membership has a role to play in preserving the truth. The Apostle Paul would say this to the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 1, I am astonished that you... There's that second person plural, the y'all are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and returning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Here the blames put on the congregation. They put up with and allowed the teaching to occur. This is because the church is meant to call its leadership, but also have accountability to one another about what we teach and confess. This is one of the reasons our church has not joined with, a, a, with a, a form of denomination or network that, had, that would have the ability to choose our pastor and leader for us. There are people, we see issues even in our own community, right, of groups that have the ability to tell a church who they're going to have as their leaders or not. And friends, the, the problem becomes when that group at the top has different desires than the people who actually live and work in the local church. And it's the responsibility of us to make sure we are preserving the true doctrine and faithful living that God desires for us. Friends, we have a shared confession of Jesus and the shared understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And friends, sometimes that means having really hard conversations. Do you know that's part of what it means to join a church as you're signing up, to have hard conversations with one another? And the keys are part of the reason We have the authority and the responsibility to do that. Let's look at the third use of the keys. Members use the keys of the kingdom to purify the church. Members discipline each other. Now, that word discipline is going to make some people uncomfortable. And that's okay. Let me give you some synonyms that might make that sound a little better. As key holders, we have a level of accountability to one another. There are times where we give correction and we bring the strain back on course. We saw that at the end of James last week, right? Bringing the strain back on course. Friends, we don't have any problem at going to the gym and getting people to encourage us to work out or change our workout, but the second we apply it to our faith, people begin to act all offended. The scripture says we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and that's a community project. You cannot do it on your own. The keys mean we hold one another accountable to faithful doctrine and faithful living. Again, James last week said and gave us a call to action that we're to care for one another when we begin to wander. And Jesus actually told us the same thing. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. He says this, If your brother sins against you, 
Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens, you've gained your brother. I think Jesus expands this even beyond just you personally being sinned against. But it's important, you notice, he said, don't call the pastor, have him handle it. Don't gossip or spread it all on Facebook. Go to him between you and him alone. But if he does not listen, he says, take one or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. In other words, bring a small group. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. This comes right in the context of the keys of the kingdom, right? He goes on to say, whatever you bind and loose, right? He goes on to say that. Friends, we don't simply use the keys to show what a true confession of faith is, but also to help us discern, are we walking as faithful confessors of God's word? The key is our invitation to have hard conversations. And Jesus says there may even come a time for the whole church to use the keys to speak into the situation and to say, no, you're not living as God's word would have you live and we love you and we're concerned about you. And to begin to go, hey, I think your confession of faith is in question here. And that's something we'll talk about in later weeks. But the whole church is to use the keys to define what is true talk and what is true walk in the kingdom of God? What it means to confess what Jesus confessed, what it means to walk as Jesus called us to walk. And we together seek to help one another talk the talk and walk the walk in the kingdom of God. We discipline and hold one another accountable as we seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The keys mean you got responsibilities to other people in this room who are a part of this family of faith. And the keys mean we also have a mission to the world. Here's the last thing I want us to see. Fourth, members use the keys of the kingdom to proclaim. Members expand the church. Friends, we, as a community of faith, are responsible for stewarding the church, for making sure it's strong by protecting it, preserving it, and purifying it. We build a healthier community and we expand the kingdom by proclaiming the gospel. We seek to keep the house in order and then we seek to expand the family of God. See, friends, God has given each of you a job to do in this body. In fact, he calls it a body because all of us have a part in this. Hands, feet, eyes, all different parts. And friends, we can't give away our responsibility as key holders to pastors, to elders, or even to a select group. The church will only work when we all embrace God's call on each of us. Ephesians chapter 4 puts it this way. I love this. And he, being the risen Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. Why? to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Here, the Holy Spirit says, God's given leadership in this church in order to equip the body to do the work of the body, to build up and encourage one another in their calling. Leaders are not called to do all the ministry, but to equip others to do the ministry. Friends, all of you signed up by being a part of this church to be a minister. All of us signed up to serve in a ministry and to reach all of Katie's with all of Christ. 
In fact, our vision statement as a church is we exist to take all of Christ to all of Katie's and to all the world. And we can't do that until we get ourselves in order and take hold of the keys. So Crossroads, let's use the keys. Let's get serious about protecting the church by knowing one another's confessions, by preserving it, by knowing the truth and defending it, by purifying it, by being willing to have tough conversations when we begin to go astray and proclaiming the truth that Jesus has come. And over the next several weeks, you probably have a lot of questions on how this looks. We're going to be looking at what this looks like as a body of Christ. And if you're not a part of our local church, maybe you'd like to be, maybe you have questions, you can speak to me or one of the elders about the next steps of becoming a key holder in the kingdom of God. And maybe you're not even a Christian today, or maybe your experience with church has been primarily defined by people misusing the keys. Let me close with a word to you. Let me tell you, church hurt is real. Friends, pastors, members of churches, we don't always use the keys as we're supposed to. We sin, and oftentimes egregiously. And none of that is an excuse, friends, because I'll be frank, there's some of us who have experienced a taste of hell through the touch of the church. And that ain't right. But neither is giving up on it all. Because Jesus himself offers what I hope is encouragement to those who are discouraged today with the whole church thing. Hear me. No one has ever been more hurt by the church than Jesus has. And yet he promises to be with her, to protect her, to prosper her, even in the deepest, darkest powers of evil, the gates of hell will never prevail against her. Remember what Jesus went through in order to save his people and to bring about the church. Adam's rib was removed to create his bride, but Jesus has his side pierced to create his. Jesus was rejected by the Peter who he said he'd build the church through. Oh, friends, see the everlasting love of God. Jesus was pierced, rejected, crucified, and risen for you. He suffered more at the hands of sinners than we could ever possibly imagine, enduring upon himself the judgment due our sins and emptying the grave of its power in his resurrection that you might be forgiven of your sins, reconciled to God, and given hope of eternal life. And you can have this not through going through this endless cycle of works, but through coming by faith and just receiving saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you can experience forgiveness of sin, reconciliation to God, and everlasting life. Jesus endured all of that for you. And friends, Jesus endured all of that for this. He he, he died to save us individually, but friends, he died to call us together in communities as embassies of the kingdom of God in the dark world world. And one day we're promised that God is going to call his church home. One day we're going to fly away and God will unite his church again and we'll be with our king. He'll be with us, renew all things, and he will set all things right. Jesus promises to build his church. Are you a part of it? And the gates of hell will never prevail against us.
So let us go forth with the keys in hand, with confidence. Let's stand, let's pray, and let's prepare to worship together. Father in heaven, you have given us the gift of the local church. And that doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes, that we don't sometimes hand over the keys in a ways that we shouldn't. Lord, help us as your people to take hold of the keys and to use them in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross in our place, for rising again on the third day so that any and all who come to you in repentance and faith can have new everlasting life. And God, I pray we would be a church that guards that message and shares it with the world. And we look forward to the day when you call us home and we pray together, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this last song we're going to do, um, this is one we wrote on the way up here, actually. It sounded really good, so we're going to do it for you. Sunbright morning with blood. 
Amen. It's been great. It's been great having these guys with us. Been excited to be together as a church. Let me just say two things in closing. First, uh, I'm going to get these out of the back. There's some of these books available. If you're curious about what we talked about today and want to take a little bit of further discussion or further deep dive, there's a book called Rediscover Church by the Body of Christ is Essential. So if you're curious about what we talked about today, maybe you've been out of church and want to get connected back in, we've got a bunch of these free that'll be out at the back table here in a few minutes. And so excited to have these brothers with us and to be here. And we're going to go forward with the confidence that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. We're going to go forth in the power of this benediction, this promise and blessing from God's word, from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.